This is Pandemic Buzz, a place where resilience practitioners gather to listen to insights from crisis management, business continuity, and crisis communications professionals. I'm your host, Devin Sermenis, a managing director at Widow Bryant's, a firm solely dedicated to supporting clients to prepare, respond, and recover from devastating events. Throughout this series, you'll hear from subject matter experts from a variety of industries and geographies. The intent is to share insights and best practices that you can adopt during these unusual times, or at the very minimum, some human elements that will further connect us as we adapt to new routines both at work and at home. Hey, Phil, thanks for being a guest on Pandemic Buzz. Thank you so much for having me. If you could, please tell our listeners who you are, your title, and what your company does. Sure thing, Devin. My name is Philip Biggie. I'm the Senior Vice President for Customer Solutions at Continuity Logic. We provide software and services in the business continuity management space, IT security, and risk management. I've been in this industry for 24 years, and so let me just pause and say thank you to everyone who is uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, I couldn't be here as a leader after 24 years without you. I know we are all going through a very tough time, and it's very impactful when there's a business continuity disaster incident, which is impacting the lives of you, your families, and uh, your employees. It's, uh, it's extremely difficult. So know that uh, we are thinking of you and we are grieving with you as well. And we're looking forward to seeing you on the other side of this. So um, I wish everybody well in this uh, who's listening to this podcast. Yeah, thanks. I think that's some shared sentiment across the group of listeners that we have. Language, definitions, terminology are all incredibly important for resilience practitioners. Oftentimes, terms are intermixed as they are more broadly used across the entire organization. With that in mind, have your customers classified the pandemic as a crisis or are efforts simply under the business continuity umbrella? Every customer uh, is experiencing a crisis right now because the products and services have, quite frankly, um, seized and been greatly impacted. So this is a company-wide impact, which by definition is a, is a crisis. Now, what I've seen and what we've seen are sometimes poor definitions between a minor crisis, a moderate crisis, and a major crisis. And so my encouragement to the audience is we need to be very um, factual and report on the data to the impacts to the organization. That will help you define what is a minor, moderate, or major impact. Too often, we, we rely upon people to feel what could be a major impact. Let's turn our attention to the data and the impacts to your products and services that you deliver to your customers. If those are being greatly impacted, you have a crisis. Did people feel like they were prepared for an event or a crisis like this as a result of prior training or exercises or maybe prior experiences? And what items specifically led to this feeling? I think we're, we all felt a sense of preparation by at least going through an exercise and feeling good about ourselves that, uh, you know, even in the most uh, stringent of exercises, if we raise the muscle memory within us to be able to respond within minutes so we can recover within hours, that's what a lot of, a lot of the effort is that we do. However, this is completely different, right? This impacted the entire globe and your entire organization. So in one sense, we know how to handle crises that uh, occurred before this pandemic. However, I, I think we need to be very honest with ourselves that this was the, nobody, is, nobody alive today has experienced a crisis such as this. And so we need to take everything that we've learned all together uh, in, in um, uh, what we've learned in our exercises and our minor crises 
and put these together and team up with our uh, peers across our organization in property management and in employee health, life, safety. We need to ensure that um, we are putting the best of what we've learned and prepared for um, forward to respond to this incident. But we also need to be honest with ourselves and realize that we're going to have to make some stuff up as we go along. And again, my advice to everybody out there is while we feel as though we should be doing things, we should be driving our feelings based upon factual data in order to uh, continue to respond to this event. Do you think uh, from a U.S.-centric perspective, people will be capturing these kind of lessons learned, covering down gaps in their business continuity and crisis management programs, and will actually prioritize addressing those once things turn to return to some kind of normalcy? I have spoken to all of our customers, and they are all writing these down, and there will be after-actions reports. Certainly, there is concern that, is this going to be followed through? I hope we don't get back into the mode of, we didn't have good plans, therefore we need more documentation. I don't know many organizations who actually use their documentation. The best uh, organizations who responded to this responded from a data-centric, factual perspective in order to do some rapid response to um, this growing crisis. So I would advise uh, everybody listening to this podcast that we need to ensure what data was missing for us to assess this crisis, respond to this crisis, and resume our operations as best as we could from this crisis using data to be very predictive of how we should be uh, responding to this crisis. What unique corporate or even cultural attributes have made companies more effective during the pandemic response? Those organizations that I have seen who have effectively responded to this crisis were, again, very predictive in the data that they collected and shared that data amongst their groups that were required to prepare for such an event. Also, those organizations that have business continuity, disaster recovery, crisis management, vendor continuity, reporting under one roof were much more effective to uh, respond to this crisis because they work a lot more cohesively rather than different groups reporting to different leaderships. Those that have uh, responded with less effectiveness, let's say they have business continuity under one roof, but they have the IT disaster recovery under technology. There tends to be sometimes good data collected, but not reported or uh, risk oversight as cohesive as it could have been. Therefore, those that lacked data on average took five days to collect the pertinent data needed to respond to this event and then would take another five days to respond to this event with the capabilities required to uh, shift work or work from home or whatever their strategies uh, needed to be. because. There wasn't this predictive sharing of information for preparedness. That is what less effective organizations need to step up to be more effective. Has there been a decision or decisions that this crisis has forced you into that you never in a million years thought you would make? I would think that in my 20 some odd years of leading organizations and everybody I'm sure listening to this has thought of this as well, a simple uh, uh, improvement we can make we all do business impact assessments, but are we flagging our products and services as life-sustaining? Never thought I'd have to do that in my lifetime. 
you know, if we know how our processes are supporting life-sustaining products and services that our organizations provide to the consumer market and the and the good of the of, of the globe, we would have a much better understanding of what needs to continue. We also need to evaluate how our products and services could be possibly turned around to life-saving products and services. So, for example, if I am manufacturing clothes, we can now flag products and services to be turned around to uh, manufacturing uh, uh, face masks and protective gear and to understand the product, the processes and technology and third-party vendors that and people that support those products and services that are either life-sustaining or can be turned around to life-sustaining. I think that'll give organizations a much better preparedness footing to be prepared for the next pandemic. But also, it's going to be the hard decisions of if a product or service is not necessarily life-sustaining, how do we right-size an organization to uh, be able to survive as an organization through this pandemic, through the next pandemic, and bring the people back for those products and services which are deemed not necessarily life-sustaining? I'll just give an anecdotal thought to this, which if I am the uh, if I am a beverage manufacturer. Do we really need high sugar soda products, high energy products, right, in the middle of a pandemic? Or should we shift our um, production lines to produce more bottled water uh, and, and purified water for the greater good of the, of the globe through this pandemic? I think those are decisions that we really need to take a look at our products and services and really make some hard decisions of what is life-sustaining, what could be turned into life-sustaining, and what could be deferred until after the pandemic and understand the, pro- the processes, technology, uh, vendors, and people that support those uh, products and services, and then make those uh, hard determinations from there. What have you learned about connections with employees and the ability to communicate with them? And is there anything different that you have learned in terms of communicating with external stakeholders? I haven't necessarily learned anything new about communicating with employees because we we need to be very factual with them. We need to provide them with the most up-to-date data. When communicating with employees, the people listening to this podcast, we need to present the facts. But in presenting the facts is going to create an emotional response. And it's very difficult to predict what the emotional response is going to be. So we shouldn't be communicating facts and data to our employees about a, a continuity event without the partnership of employee relations being at your side to catch those people who are going to have an adverse reaction to the facts and data that you are providing the employees. Let employee relations or human resources handle the emotional response to how you're communicating effectively to employees. I will say, however, what I noticed was and we were receiving these questions at Continuity Logic, and I've seen this across the board. I think as, um, as an industry, we really need to mature in vendor continuity. We do a really good job with trying to manage risk within our own walls, right? And a lot of us are constrained uh, with uh, staffing resource um, constraints and budget constraints. But if we are communicating with stakeholders, we shouldn't be asking them, qualitative questions about how they feel that they are prepared for a pandemic. We received a number of questionnaires from our customers that see us as a critical vendor, but they're asking, there is a lot of qualitative questions being asked. I think we need to mature a lot in vendor continuity in taking ownership 
of assessing our vendors' response and uh, preparedness for a pandemic and ask them quantitative questions that can be measured. Very simple yes or no questions. Do you have this plan in place? Are you prepared to work from home? Yes or no? Are there third parties that you rely upon that you have checked to make sure that they are prepared for a a pandemic uh, event? Yes or no? And start measuring based upon quantitative responses from our vendors, not qualitative of how they feel they are prepared. We need to be very factual to turn around to our organization and our business units to say, we believe that particular vendors either are or are not prepared in order to sustain us in any type of event like a major disaster or a pandemic. Do you think that there will need to be changes made, either physical or even behavioral, in offices as a result of coronavirus? And what are companies doing in terms of site readiness? I like the behavioral part first. You know, it was funny. I was reading an article yesterday in CNBC, and they were quoting uh, an article, uh, a source called Payscale. And what I'm hoping for from a behavioral change is equality in the in the workplace. Um, so I'm hoping for a positive behavioral change in, in the workplace out of this pandemic. So let me take a take a second to explain. Payscale indicates that 31% of the women lose uh, in the workforce lose tens of thousands of dollars uh, every year in wages because uh, they are requiring more flexibility in the uh, office environment in order to take care of families. And it is my hope that, and certainly this article's hope, that because organizations have learned so much about flexibility in a pandemic and working from home and work-life balance, that that gap in pay between men and women and this inflexibility in an office space to flexibility at home, that we're going to close that gap for equality in the workspace so women and men, men are paid equally based upon organizations learning about flexibility and working from home so everybody can be paid on equal time and equal pay. So I would hope that that's a positive behavioral change. Certainly, I think there are some um, physical changes that are going to take place that offices may be seen as uh, almost a, a point of privilege to report into headquarters or headquarters is going to be more of an open conference area that people go to in order to attend a meeting. That there is going to be, I think, smarter um, workspace environments that are going to be a little bit more um, social distanced and um, collaboration will only take place when collaboration really needs to take place. So I think there's going to be some changes in the in the workspace uh, that are going to be for the good. I think there's going to be good physical workspace. I think the work-life balance will uh, uh, improve. And, you know, I, I think uh, um, it's going to be a special time when we can all gather together in offices because those are going to be really meaningful times that we need to be together to collaborate and uh, advance our organizations to for the greater good. So that was a little bit about site readiness. Once the physical aspects of the office are prepared for a turn, are business leaders and managers prepared to phase their people back into an office setting? And I'm getting into workforce planning here. So for example, how many people should start the repopulation? What factors will companies use to determine which employees should be included in an initial wave, second wave, third wave? How do you think that decision is going to be made and communicated? Organizations are, are going to be challenged for people to return to work when we think of our normal uh, manufacturing and office spaces because distancing will need to take place. And I think distancing will need to take place based upon the 
schematic, if you will, of the of the office, how it's built, um, what's the square footage, how many people per square feet. I don't think we'll have jammed call centers anymore. So each organization is going to need to, the business continuity organization is going to need to partner with property management and employee life safety and security and make a few determinations. What is the appropriate, based upon the CDC guidelines, and what is going on locally? What is the, the, the latest guidelines and how many people can come back? Um, we are advising our customers to have a phased approach, whether it's a phase three or you know three phase or a four phase approach to determine if 25% of the work, workforce needs to come back in a phase one approach, and then maybe another 25 in a phase two or 33%. Again, this is going to be based upon uh, office layout and the uh, density of the uh, office population. So that a lot of the, you're going to need to partner with those groups to determine what that right percentage is going to be. Secondly, there's going to need to be a determination. And again, you have this data. And if you don't have this data, certainly go and get it. But figure out what are, what are the more critical operations that really need to return to the office space, right? And so it's that classic BIA of what's critical. Certainly that is a good barometer, but a good heads up decision needs to be made about who really needs to, to, to be brought back. Once you understand um, the population and the critical, uh, the critical um, uh, processes and business units that need to return, then the leadership needs to determine, okay, who do I want coming back in that first phase and second phase? So again, we need to drive to data. They're going to need to check off, if you will, in some sort of database, who's going to be determined to come back in phase one, phase two, phase three, and so on down the line. Lastly, uh, my advice to everybody is that you need to over plan. And this was a lesson learned in many hurricanes that have um, that, that I've uh, led organizations through. Generally, have an A, B, a shift and a B shift, or an a, a phase A or a phase B. And there's always going to be the phase C, as in see you later. There are going to be employees again who have that adverse reaction that you are communicating facts. You are asking them to return to an office environment, which is now been the risks have been mitigated and it is safer to return to an office environment they have been deemed critical to return in that phase one and they may just say you know what see you later i am not going to report as part of phase one and so you need to over plan a bit as to the people who you believe will come back in that phase one because they're going to be people who for good reasons from their own good reasons um, make a determination that you know what they're just not going to come back and so we need to overplan a little bit in those first couple of phases. Now that we're actually experiencing the first in a generation pandemic, how do you think this will impact how your company and your customers conduct business going forward? What, if anything, is going to change in business operations? I think we need to let go a lot of writing procedures and plans and let data drive situational awareness, preparedness and execution. I believe that um, we are in the driver's seat now where we can consolidate the teams and be good partners with risk and security and our organization and IT especially if we govern IT disaster recovery, business continuity, vendor continuity and crisis management appropriately. We take the data and we report to risk and key stakeholders gaps 
And we need to drive the data to run exercises to really see by data and ask the hard questions, are we really prepared? And then when the next disaster strikes, we need to take that data as the soundtrack to show up to our senior leadership and let the data be the soundtrack to say, we have this event, this many people are impacted, these many critical processes are down, this is how it impacts our products and services. We have particular uh, security needs on these particular uh, IT items that are impacted. This is our recommendation, what we should be doing. Senior leadership, what do you think we should be doing in order to execute our response plans? So we're going to be working as a company of continuity logic, driven based upon data, and we're encouraging our customers to drive their continuity programs based upon data. Was there anything that was extraordinarily important to you before this happened that's no longer important to you at all, personally or professionally? And this is going towards like mindset shifts that people may be experiencing. So as an example, I've been rethinking how important it's going to be for me to maintain my 100,000 plus mileage status on various airlines. (laughs) And do I need to really conduct business in this manner to kind of yield the same results? Yeah, um, you you just triggered a funny uh, point in my head where... um, I'm sweating a little bit that my United mileage status is going to go away. So <laughs> uh, that is uh, yeah, goodbye to that. I think we are going to um, uh, certainly uh, rethink our travel policies and effectiveness, uh, either in person or through video conference. I have no shame in that my 15-year-old cut, uh, cut my hair and I am happy to get on a video conference with anybody. But seriously, though, in our work environment, in our industry for the business continuity disaster recovery space. We think too much about the processes our businesses perform. We need to think ahead to what our organization is delivering to our customers. And we need to tie everything to that because that is what drives our business. And so I think there needs to be a mind shift of Instead of doing process planning and doing and looking around our internal walls and trying to do do planning about what if we went down, we need to do a mind shift of how our products and services to our customers are going to be impacted. And I'm going to ask the audience to start looking at the Bank of England's new requirements on what they're requiring their financial institutions to do to tie everything to the products and services that are being delivered to the customer. If we can start maturing as an industry to be really smart about how we gather data and be able to report on risks of not being able to deliver our products and services, we are now elevating our entire industry to a much higher level in our organization of importance. Working from home for extended periods with little to no variance in routine can put people in introspective places. Did you discover something about yourself during this time or that you may have forgotten? Most of the people in our industry that I know, and I've been very fortunate to establish really good friendships with, I think we're all very service oriented. I came from a, a, I think back to uh, my college days where I was in a service oriented uh, fraternity. And uh, that's what we did for uh, my good four years there. And that's carried over. And I think that's carried over to many people listening to this uh, podcast is that By nature, we perform a really good service to the employees and the organizations that we serve, and especially to our customers. 
And I know personally, it's been extremely satisfying for myself and certainly for Continuity Logic. I know I, 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 I'm able to confidently share these sentiments for everybody who works for Continuity Logic that it gives me a sense of personal satisfaction. And this harkens me back to our service, my, my college days of serving the community, that the more organizations that we can help get through this crisis and partner with them and provide them with perspective of how they can be utilizing our solutions and certainly their programs more effectively, uh, it, it gives me a really good sense that we're doing something for the common good. We're, we're very service oriented and we're performing an amazing service for, you know, you're, you're performing an amazing service for your employees and your customers. And so keep that in mind. I think that's, that's something that at the end of the day, if we're going to feel good about something, I know I feel good about it. I'm hoping that everybody listening to this podcast feels good that while things are stressful right now, we are doing so much to help your employees and your customers to provide those products and services. And ultimately, at the end of the day, hang on to as many employees as possible because these are really dire times for those uh, folks. And the less stress we can provide to them, the better. The world's watching to see if we're moving into a new normal where there very well could be a flu season, a pneumonia season, even a coronavirus season, maybe even sometimes simultaneously. Following this hypothetical, what would you want to incorporate into future planning for crises or rather pandemics? This is very similar to hurricane planning. I have always believed that organizations, and I did this with my organizations, we need to plan and prepare in May and June and have everybody exercised who are impacted by hurricanes by the end of June. So there's a little bit of a muscle memory in there that carries through the summer, that when the hurricane hits, they just know what to do. So I believe that if this is going to be seasonal, and we can certainly predict that there is a good assumption that uh, this fall and winter will be difficult. We need to uh, document our after actions, make those changes to the data and how we react uh, and report to leadership and the business units about their preparedness and do an exercise by the end of September. We need to have the next exercise done. So quite frankly, I think if we're going to get a routine, if we always go into a routine for hurricane preparedness, let's get into a routine for pandemic and flu season preparedness by the end of September. So we're just prepared for that seasonal impact that uh, is going to impact us for the next couple of years, possibly. So la last question, last perspective to share with the listeners down the road. What is it that you'll tell your kids or grandkids or maybe the next generation about this experience as they enter the workforce, as they become adults? Really, what I'm getting to is what learning will you impart? I used to be a history major, actually, and I've always observed learning about history that it repeats itself. It always repeats itself. So the lesson that my 15-year-old daughter has observed uh, by me reacting to many disasters that uh, she has uh, uh, seen me run off to is that history repeats itself. There isn't anything necessarily new. So for example, with this pandemic, this has happened in 1918. We need to take those lessons and the impacts from 1918 and apply it to current day because today is quite frankly, different, right? We have different technology and, and different uh, foot map across the globe, footprint across the globe and different travel schemas and all that sort of stuff. But still, um, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from 1918 that we should apply today and are being applied today. And I think we need to do that. During the evenings, as we're all binge watching, I've been watched, uh, binge watched uh, Ken Burns' uh, Vietnam uh, documentary. And it is almost scary to see some of the geopolitical things that occurred during the Vietnam War 
have almost repeated themselves. And it's kind of scary, the same quotes that have had that have come out from the documentary that was created 10 years ago, and they're repeating themselves from the 1960s and 70s to today. So history does repeat itself. So I think what everybody entering the workforce, my child, those coming into the business continuity industry, when you hear the, these dramatic headlines of a once in a lifetime or storm of the century, well, yes, it is going to be bad, but we've been through this before. Go and learn about the history. How did it impact the world then and apply it to today? And you should be fairly predictive of what we should be doing to respond and react to this, uh, to the next crisis. Really solid insights and perspective. Phil, thanks for being a guest on Pandemic Buzz and being so open and in, in sharing the knowledge that you've acquired and amassed throughout your career. Thank you. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening. I really hope hope this was uh, insightful. And uh, certainly reach out to me, Philip Biggie, on LinkedIn if you ever want to connect. Thanks again for listening to Pandemic Buzz. Please like and share this podcast with your colleagues and be sure to catch our next episode.